All right, so we are in our first week of this series uh, about spiritual warfare. And uh, spiritual warfare, I'm calling this series uh, Call of Duty. And um, the reason why I'm calling it Call of Duty is uh, it is our calling and it is our duty uh, to, as believers, to fight this battle. Okay? We're, we're not to uh, pretend like it doesn't exist. We're not to hide our face from it. We're not to run from it. We're not to flee from it. It is our calling and our duty to fight the battles. And, uh, but not on our own strength. As we're going to get to this. Um, this will be a series that's going to take us all the way until December. And we've got several things we're going to uh, talk about. We're going to emphasize how the enemy will fight against you in many areas of your life, family, marriages, you know, those health and, and all kinds of ways. And, and so we're going to, uh, Joe, Joe Salvatore and I have uh, created a, a calendar plan for this. And, and uh, I know Joe's going to be doing one of these weeks at least on, uh, on how the enemy fights against your family or students and that kind of stuff. And so, uh, but we're really excited about this. And, uh, but I do know that God wants us to focus on this spiritual warfare because it is real. And as we get, we'll find that out today. Today, I want to focus on five spiritual truths uh, that, will, um, that will, you need to know with this invisible war. And today, we're going to focus on the invisible war and the five spiritual truths about that. Now, we do have uh, some passages of Scripture we're going to be going through, obviously, but one of the main ones we're going to uh, read today in just a moment is found in 2 Kings chapter 6. So if you want to get your, get your copy of God's Word, go to 2 Kings in the Old Testament there, um, and uh, you can... Uh, Uh, Turn to that, and for those who are watching online, you can get your copy of God's Word or your digital copy. Uh, We'll have this on the screen also. So 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 8, but let me set this up for you. You have basically have two kingdoms. You have um, the the, the kingdom of Aram, and you have the kingdom of of the Israelites, and uh, or Israel, and so um, you have these two kings who who are at uh, at war with one another, and and the king of Aram is uh, wanting to ambush um, the, the soldiers of Israelites. But the problem is the, the king of Israel has a secret weapon, and that is he has a prophet. And that prophet is Elisha. And so Elisha tells him basically what's going on. And, uh, and we'll, we'll, uh, as we get into this, you'll be able to understand the, um, the story on this. So 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 8. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, which is Elisha. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. So he's thinking there's some people in his camp, you know, close by that is telling the Israelites everything. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of the officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. (laughs) 
Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I mean, that, that statement alone could be something you put on your phone, make a graphic of it, you know, and, and use it as your, as your screenshot, you know, or as your, as your screensaver or something. You need to have that statement somewhere in your life that you look at almost every day. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Verse 17. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. Pretty sly cat there. And so he led them to Samaria. Now, Samaria was a capital there of the kingdom of Israel, which is the northern kingdom. You had the southern kingdom of Judah, and you had the northern kingdom of, of Israel uh, for the Hebrews. Verse 29, after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked, Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? I mean, he's excited. He's like ready to go. Uh, Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. It's almost like when a football team is crushing uh, another football team and they have a chance to go up like, you know, 56 to nothing, but uh, they, they uh, as time runs out, they, they stop at the two-yard line. They could have really gone and, and scored another touchdown, but they're like, you know what? We're just going to hold back here. That's basically what, the, what uh, Israel did, the king of Israel. You're like, we're not going to kill you. We're just, we're going to feed you and set you up right, and, uh, and it actually foreshadows what Jesus is teaching uh, later on in the New Testament, how we are to bless our enemies, and then he sends them uh, away, and then they don't have any other bands of enemies and armies from Aram coming to attack Israel. So you have this incredible story, and this story reveals a few things about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, you see the spiritual truths in the Old Testament, and you also see them in the New Testament. We're going to do, look at several passages from both Old and New Testament. But the, um, this story shows, number one, and here's our first spiritual truth. Number one is this, that there is an invisible world. There is an invisible world world. You remember growing up, now this is going to show some of the, the age of, of, of you and, and, and definitely with me. You remember watching the show Bewitched? Anybody remember Bewitched? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a, uh, actually a really clean show. And it was a show that uh, really had family values in it and was a show that, that brought um, a, a life lesson even though it was about a witch. 
Or what about your kids? Any of y'all's kids uh, grew up watching The Wizards of Waverly Place? It's kind of an um, a, a, a innocent show uh, about witches and warlocks and everything. And then you can kind of get into Harry Potter and all this stuff. So, but I would be the first to tell you that the way the invisible world is represented in these various forms of entertainment that I just mentioned is in most cases pure fantasy. But I would also be the first to tell you that the reality from which these fantasies arise is rock-solid biblical truth. The invisible world is just as real as the visible world you and I live in. Both in the New Testament and Old Testament refer to this often. For believers in Jesus, we have to admit that there is a world we can't directly observe. Jesus didn't refer to demons in the abstract. In fact, they spoke to him, and he spoke back to them. This tells us that this unseen realm is just as real as touching your very own skin. I know it's kind of still hard to swallow, but consider the multitude of examples we've had throughout history of unseen, realistic things that skeptics dismissed because their eyes couldn't see them. Take, for example, people couldn't see bacteria. At some point in history, we were able to see that, but for many, many thousands of years, people couldn't see bacteria. But did that make the bacteria less real? Of course not. What about viruses? Most of us don't thoroughly understand electricity. We can't see and observe electric currents. But is electricity real? Same with natural gas, carbon, carbon monoxide. We know these things are real because we have seen and, uh, and observed the effects of them on our life. So I would venture to say it shouldn't be that hard to accept that there is a spiritual world we can't see, just like bacteria. Believers cannot realistically dismiss the truths stated in Scripture without dismissing scripture itself. So, there is an invisible world as evident in what we just read and many other passages of the New Testament. The second spiritual truth is this. We are in an invisible war. There is an invisible war. It is real, it is serious, and it is ultimate in its consequences. We are soldiers in the battle that matters most. There is a visible world and an invisible world that intersects and we live in that intersection. You and I live in the intersection of the visible world and the invisible world. The enemy's strategies affect us every day. When was the last time you honestly considered that some struggle or maybe a relational conflict was rooted in a satanic opposition. It is real. Paul talks about it often. We see one passage, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, through 5, um, uh, 10 verses 3 through 5 says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, 
They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I actually shared this verse uh, yesterday morning with the men in our um, men's prayer breakfast, that monthly men's prayer breakfast. And uh, we had a great time of just listing some of the weapons that the enemy enjoys using. Pretension in this verse means the laying of a claim to something. So the enemy has laid a claim onto your life, okay? He is late. Now, he's going to affect that in some way. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you already have the, you already have the spirit of God, okay? He can't come in and inhabit your, your soul, your body, you know, but he can affect your life in many, many different ways. So Paul clearly informs his readers that they are in a battle against unseen entities and that the battle is very intense. And it's, it, it's one thing to, to just dismiss that this isn't real, and it's another thing to realize, all right, this is very real, and I need to understand that the enemy is using real weapons with real spiritual bullets, as I was thinking of an example, an illustration that we can use, uh, this illustration popped into my mind um, pretty quickly. It's one of my, one of my uh, favorite movies, and um, it's from the, uh, this clip is from the movie The Three Amigos. And so in this clip, so basically you have the three amigos have our three gentlemen, you've probably seen the movie, uh, three gentlemen who they're entertainers in Hollywood, and they have these, uh, these uh, silent movies that they show, and, uh, and they were showing the silent movie in, uh, in Mexico, in the heart of Mexico. And in this village of Mexico, they were being, um, they were being really threatened by this uh, villain named El Guapo. And so El Guapo uh, was terrorizing this village. And so the village people saw this movie and they're thinking it was real. Well, the three amigos, they could come and they can help with this El Guapo. And so they hired them to come down and the three amigos think, oh, it's, an, it's, it's another opportunity to entertain. It's a movie. But what they don't realize is this is for real. And we get to see that as we watch this video clip, The Three Amigos. Wait a second. Let me see that. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, great! Real bullets! Oh, I'll keep this. 
You're in a lot of trouble, mister. So you have this realization that, all right, are you kidding me? They're using real bullets. Can I tell you something? Church, y'all look at me, those watching online. The enemy uses real bullets. He does. His weapons are for real. Don't think this is just a game. Don't think that, um, that because you haven't really seen anybody who's demon-possessed or you've seen someone who uh, you've even seen a demon or some sort of principality or something, don't think that, that, that it's not real because it is very real. And so we see an invisible world, an invisible war. The third spiritual truth we have this is our foe is formidable. Our foe is formidable. Now, formidable means causing fear, apprehension, or dread. So the Satan, Satan, this evil one, causes fear, apprehension, and dread. It means great strength, forceful, and powerful. Our enemy is very formidable. The goal of Satan is to destroy God's people and discredit the cause of Christ. He's not to be taken lightly. He is real. He was an angel the highest of all created beings who rebelled against God out of pride. There are demonic spirits who want to terrorize you and make you miserable. I know that's a strong statement, but just look what Peter says. First Peter uh, 5.8, just simple verse. You've heard it before mostly. Be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Is Satan for real? Are demons for real? Jesus certainly thought so. He referred to Satan 25 times in Scripture and had a personal encounter with him in Matthew 4. Verse 1 through 11. Now, there's not a whole lot of uh, things that I have experienced over the years with demonic forces. However, when I was in high school, I came across something that was 
pretty scary and pretty real. I was driving home. I was about a junior in high school, maybe a senior, and I was driving home from church on Sunday night. And as I was driving home Sunday night, uh, I noticed this, um, this young man, probably in his 20s, who was uh, sitting on the, on the side of the curb uh, of the street. And it was dark. Uh, there's some street lights around, so um, it was kind of a busy intersection. Uh, but I, I thought it was kind of weird that he was sitting there by himself. And I just felt this urge to just go, go talk to him. We had a really good service that night. The youth hangout uh, was great. And so I remember pulling the car, circling back around, putting the car uh, by the park, in the parking lot, uh, kind of close by where he was. And I walked down the sidewalk. He was at the end of the sidewalk and by the curb. And, um, and I walked up from behind, and um, it wasn't that close to him, but I said, hey, could, could I help you with something? Are you, are, are, are you, you need somebody to talk to. And I'll never forget, this, this man jumped up, quickly turned around, and with several voices, it wasn't one voice, it was several, the first thing these voices said was, you Christian fool. And it got my attention really quick. And I was like, Oh, wow. And his, his hand, I remember specifically his right hand was kind of in a, in a claw position, kind of like this. And, and, and he was kept talking in several voices. And he said, he, they said these words, I can kill you. So immediately started to step backwards and I immediately think, okay, I can't do this on my own. I, I'm not prepared to, like, cast a demon out of anybody or anything. And so I just walk back home. I mean, just kind of walk back to my car and I say, have a nice day, y'all. And then I went back to my car and went to my house. And I called my youth pastor. And he's like, dude, you got to, like, help me. You know, uh, we came and checked on him later, but he wasn't there. But that was my, that's my only been my only encounter with, with, with someone who has, like, a principality and as someone who has had some sort of possession, and I just wasn't really in a place on my walk, and I feel like, man, I could just take care of this. But I know this, that was for real, and demonic forces are for real. You can read about them in Ezekiel chapter 28, Isaiah chapter 14. Those Old Testament uh, scriptures talk about that. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah chapter 14. So, our foe is formidable. He wants to cause fear. He wants to cause apprehension and dread in your life. Number four, spiritual truth. We must respect our foe, but not fear him. We must respect our foe, but not fear him. Now, on, on that, that Sunday night when I was in high school, I, I, I had a respect <laughs> for that. So I kind of walked away. And yes, I, I had a little bit of fear. Absolutely. But when it comes to the day in and day out, which we're going to talk about, talk about in this next section. When it comes to the everyday things in our life, we do not have to fear him. Our responsibility is to become acutely aware of Satan's methods, but not be preoccupied by them. Okay? So, I, I'm going to make sure you understand this. Our responsibility is to become acutely aware of Satan's methods of attack, but not be preoccupied by them. Okay? So just because you're like, oh, I got a headache, must be the devil. Well, it's probably because you had too much caffeine or too many carbs, you know, or whatever, you know. Now, could it be an attack of the enemy? Yes, it could. But you don't have to be preoccupied by everything. 
to think everything is of the enemy. We can be educated about his schemes by examining his names in Scripture, all of them revealing something of his tactics. Scripture is very clear about his agenda and his targets, but he is limited, and we have no fear to, we do not need to fear him. If we follow God's instructions of faith, as believers, we have the spirit of Christ in us. We have the power of the resurrected Lord in our life. If we have accepted Christ as Savior, he is inside of us. So balance and wisdom are crucial in our assessment of spiritual opposition. To assign too much credit or too little credit to the reality of demonic activity is is to err greatly. Satanic schemes are designed to get a foothold in our lives through unforgiveness or some other attitude not based on God's character or plan. So he will use everyday little things like anger and those other kind of emotions to get a foothold in our life. Paul talked a little bit about this in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. He says this, in your anger... So there we have, we have anger. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are so angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So right there, Paul is saying emotions such as anger can give the devil a foothold. And I believe other things like unforgiveness, bitterness, rage. The goal of the enemy's schemes is to produce bitterness and hard hearts within your family, within your workplace, even, yes, within the church. And we need to always be aware of what is going on. We tend to think that the demonic activity has to do with the weird, the paranoia, the, the exorcist in real life. The, the example that I just shared with you when I was in high school, that assumption is dangerous because it allows us to in, ignore the invisible war. If you think that your only encounter with the devil is to see someone who's demonic, who's possessed, or to even see, you know, through spiritual eyes, a demon. If you think that's the only way the devil can attack, then, then you, are, you, you are likely to be um, attacked by the enemy in a way that you can't even see, that you can ignore, and I can ignore. It's happened to me all the time. This assumption is is a little dangerous. Creepy demonic manifestations are rare and bizarre. And most of us don't ever encounter those phenomena. When we read these passages about Satan's activities, like one we just read with Paul, dealing with anger. However, it's clear that the issues are usually things like unwillingness to forgive, bitterness, anger, deceived minds, and any of the attitudes that can break a marriage, cause depression, turn people inward, destroy our bodies with ulcers and anxieties, and yes, even split a church. Those are not rare manifestations. They are the kind of things we encounter every day. So church, you here watching online, don't think that the enemy is just something that you've got to see in somebody's life. Or you got to see a vision. The enemy is 
can, can uh, affect your life in so many different ways. And then it, it gets into your emotions and it causes other things in your life. The enemy is at work. So we have an invisible world fighting an invisible war. Our foe is very formidable. He causes fear. We've got to respect him, but not fear him. We do not need to fear him. And then finally, the last biblical truth is this. We do not fight for victory. We fight, we fight from victory. We do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. This is the good news. In your mind, this fact is still, if this fact is still in the air, you will not be able to experience very much victory in your life. In the fact that, that you can, you can uh, fight the enemy from a foothold of victory. The, the, war, the war has already been won. The enemy has already been defeated. Jesus has already defeated the enemy. So you don't have to fight for victory. You're already on the winning side. Now, it doesn't mean you won't have victory or the, because the ultimate victory has been won by Jesus. It does mean, however, that you will feel confused and defeated in trying to live the Christian life if you don't get this down and you will miss opportunities to serve God and enjoy his blessings. You do not fight for victory. You fight from victory. This approach means that when we fight, we're not trying to win. We've already won. We're enforcing the victory that Jesus has already secured. When we fight for victory, we are forcing the, um, the victory that Jesus has already secured. In his power, only through his power, we are invincible. It's kind of like, I shared this with the uh, Woodland High School football team on Friday before their game. I was, I was actually able to... Um, to go talk to the team, Joe Salvatore, our family pastor, is, um, is the chaplain for the football team. And uh, he asked me to speak to the team on Friday. And, I, and I, I used this example. I said, you know, guys, imagine if, I already, if I've already been to the future and I already know what the score is going to be. And I already know that you're going to win by a score of 21 to 7. Now, they didn't win by 21 to 7. They played cast and got a butt whooping, but that's fine, you know, we're good, you know, and so, uh, but, but I said, what if I already know what the score is going to be? Wouldn't you approach that game differently? Now, you lazy athletes can <clears throat> probably say, well, why do we have to play if we know we're going to win? But you guys who are in the game and you love this game and you've got the, you've got the jersey on and you're part of it and you're fighting this battle, it, you can approach this with a different mindset. We are going to win. Even though we might be down at halftime, we know we're going to come back and we are going to win. That is the approach that we need to have. If you're in the game wearing the Jesus jersey and you're fighting the battles, you can know this. You have already won in the name of Jesus. That should excite you. Does that excite you? Yes, it excites me. Come on, y'all. Yes. We, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The devil already knows that he's been defeated. 
So fight from a position of victory. You already have the game plan. You already know what's happening at the end. And use scripture here to defeat the enemy. Use prayer. Use other. Use fellowship. All of these things to help defeat the enemy. Let me give you some scriptures. If you want to write these down, maybe in your phone, or yeah, I know some of y'all, it looks like some of y'all are writing notes. Here are just four scriptures I want you to, to take with you as we kind of close out today. Four passages of scripture, that, and, and I would even say, put them to memory. Some of these you already heard. I'm not going to actually read the, the passages of the scripture. I'm just going to give you the reference so you can look them up later, copy them, put them on your phone, or whatever. But 1 John 4.4. 4. 1 John 4, 4. If you start your day off with these passages of Scripture, you're going to uh, fight these battles from a position of a champion, from the position of victory. So First John, John 4, 4. <clears throat> the second one is First John 5, 4 through 5. First John 5, 4 through 5. The third one. Revelation 12:11. Revelation 12:11. You are watching online. You could pause this and write those down and look them up. Revelation 12:11. And then the last one, James 4:7. James 4:7. You start your day off with these passages of the scripture. It'll be it'll be so so good for you. And just know that the battle has already been won. So There is an invisible world, and there is an invisible war happening right now. We have a foe. He's very formidable. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. He's using real bullets. And we, we don't need to fear him, but we do need to respect. We need to understand that, well, this, this, this guy is for real. The enemy, the darkness is for real. And we got to fight from a position of victory, from victory, not for victory. That's a different mindset. So this week, go about your life. Like, I'm already, I'm already a champion in Christ. If you have Christ in your life, you are already a champion. You have already won the battle by the power of Jesus. And so if you're sitting here today and you have not asked Christ to be Lord and Savior of your life, you don't have, you really don't have that that leg up, you don't have that position because that spirit is not inside of you. I would encourage you to invite Christ into your life. It could be that the reason why you keep falling down over and over and over again could be one of two things. Number one, you don't have Christ in your life. Number two, you may have Christ in your life, but you, you keep pushing him away and trying to do things on your own strength. You can use the weapons of our warfare, which we're going to get to those weapons in this series. So I want to make sure, do you have Christ in your life? Number two, are you using the weapons that God has, God has given to you? The word of God, prayer, the, the people of God to surround you. It's great that you're here today watching online, which means you're able to fellowship and to be able to, to get around other believers and hear the message today. So, I would invite you to don't do this on your own. Just as we close, every head bowed and every eye closed, as we just spend a couple more minutes in this, in this sermon, 
I just want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity, whether you're here or watching online, you may be uh, watching now or, or watching later, it doesn't matter, but I want to make sure you understand this, that Jesus Christ wants to be your Savior, and He wants to be invited into your life. He's not going to bust in. He's going to, he's going to uh, walk in as you open the door of your heart and receive him. So if you've never received him as, as um, Savior, and if you're ready to just walk across that line of salvation and say, please, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. All you got to do is just say simple words like this. Say, Father, I believe you. I believe you sent Jesus to die for me. I believe, Jesus, you rose from the dead. Please forgive me my sin. Please come into my life. Please be Lord of my life. I surrender it all to you. I open the door of my heart. I invite you to come in. And if you're sitting here today and you pray that prayer for the first time, I'd love to hear about it. You could send me an email to frank at lakepointonline.com. But also if you're sitting here and you have already accepted Christ as Savior, but maybe, maybe you're losing some battles. Maybe there's some things in your life that just keep defeating you day after day. I want you to make that recommitment to the Lord. So, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for fighting the battles of my own. The way I fight the battles is on my knees in prayer. The way I fight the battles is opening up your word for you speaking to me. The Lord, the way I fight my battles is to involve other believers who are praying with me and helping me using the weapons of our warfare. So I recommit to you, Father, that I will do those things. And I want to encourage you, fight from a position of a champion, of a victor. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. And just know this, as a church, we're here for you. We all go through battles. We all go through stuff. Trust me, everybody does. I've gone through, the, through that 100%, okay? And just remember, not every little thing is from the devil, okay? Some of it is because we make silly decisions, okay? We make choices that affect our life and affect the lives of others, Okay, But a lot of what's going on in your life uh, could be and most likely is traced back to the darkness of this world. And he wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life and to destroy the purpose and the cause of Jesus Christ. So watch out for that. And we will continue in this series. You don't want to miss. Invite some friends because I think it's going to be really, really good for your life and my life as well. And as we walk through this together next week, and for those who are saying for the tailgate, and by the way, if you didn't bring food for the tailgate, you're like, man, I didn't know what was going on. Trust me, we got enough uh, burgers, we got enough food, so we'd love for you to just uh, hang out and, and uh, do that, but we do need you to stack the chairs 10 high, that'd be awesome, let's do that first, and then we'll go outside and enjoy, but we love you guys, and we'll see you at the tailgate. Thank you all so much.